Rip City, Portland, Blazers Nation. This is Jack Winter, your Portland Trailblazers beat writer for Clutch Points, and you are listening to Talking Trailblazers. Now, if you're one of our regular listeners, you will have no doubt noticed that we have not been recording the last three weeks. Actually, let me amend that. We uh, actually did record last week, but uh, we haven't we didn't haven't gotten an episode posted here for the last three weeks. The first reason is because I took a much needed week, week and a half long vacation out on the coast with some family and friends, got outside. I really just spent some time away from basketball just for a few days, honestly. I want to do this for... We're living full time. It uh, can get a little grating sometimes, but especially when the Blazers are tanking. Um, and that's been more obvious than ever that that's what the Blazers have done here over these last three weeks since you last heard from me. They've officially shut down Anthony Simons and Yusuf Nurkic just a few days after they announced Damian Lillard uh, would be done for the season. That's something I've been speculating about for a couple months. Um, so the Blazers are going to finish the regular season here next week, and they will have tanked really for the uh, for the two months preceding their regular season finale. And I will say this, last week we did record an episode. We even brought on a guest, our first guest. Um, But unfortunately, due to some technical difficulties, uh, really just by no fault of anyone but my own, um, honestly, that I I should have noticed, uh, we lost an hour and nine minutes of what I thought was some pretty quality content. However, no worries, listener, because our new frequent guest, Justice Rogers, will be back for this week's episode. I got to know Justice at Blazers Games this season. He covers the team uh, for Black Sports Online. He's a contributor there. And in the past, he's worked for Portland's KGW News, and he's done some stuff at NBA on TNT and iHeartRadio. So that's obviously a pretty impressive resume, and we really just couldn't have had a better time. Uh, last week recording. But again, due to some errors on my part, no one will be listening to that uh, at all because it didn't get recorded. But it was a great conversation. And I'm pretty confident that we're going to have a similarly good one uh, here right after this break we're about to take. So we are going to take a quick break. And right after it, we will come back with the one and only Justice Rogers making his official debut, even though uh, he already talked with me in this space last week. Keep listening to Talking Trailblazers. We will be right back with Justice Rogers. We are back with Talking Trailblazers, and that means it's time to do what we already did last week, but no one got to hear, which is introduce Justice Rogers. Justice, how we doing? Doing good, man. Doing good. Glad to be back. Uh, more Talking Trailblazers and what's going on in uh our Western Conference and the NBA uh, here in the Pacific Northwest. So I'm glad to be here and always a good time with my good friend, Jack Winter. Oh, wow. Thank you for that. I'm, I mean, I was, was going to say, I'm not sure what could have compelled you back after last week's debacle. <laughs> friendship, it, friendship was, and camaraderie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just talking basketball uh, among friends rather than for work, it seems like a little easier to do. Um, all right, let's get right into it, man, if you're ready. Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's all get right. into it. So obviously Portland didn't plan on tanking the last two months of the regular season when training camp tipped off in late September. Pretty much every expectation is that the Blazers would extend their league-leading run of consecutive playoff berths to nine seasons and perhaps even level up in the Western Conference. That obviously didn't happen, which leads me to a question. Justice, how surprised are you by what's become of the Blazers in 2021-22? Listen, I got to say I'm extremely surprised um, because I had high hopes uh, for this Blazers squad, of course, when I saw a 
move. Uh, when I saw all the changes in the front office, I assumed, okay, this is probably for the better. I don't think they're doing this uh, to get worse. So I just assumed that some uh, better executive decisions uh, might start to come around. Uh, but I have to say, as soon as I saw Dame taking a lot of time off and not playing and then CJ uh, had his issues for the little while. At that point, that's when I realized, okay, things are starting to get a little rocky here. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's exactly what I was going to say. If you told me Dame would get off to the worst start of his career and then CJ would miss a month with a collapsed lung, I wouldn't have thought it was crazy at all uh, to think right, that he right. would miss the playoffs and be playing for lottery balls, especially, uh, again, just because Dame – you know, it was it was only after the first couple of weeks of the season that he started complaining about the pain in his midsection. Um, you know, he, he finally admitted it. We've been speculating about it in the media, talking about it amongst ourselves. Is Dame's core okay? Is Dame's core okay? Um, as he was struggling after the first ten games of the season or, or so, and then he finally admitted it. And then he actually took some time off. I think it was two weeks in late November. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a cortisone shot. And then came back, like I think it was like 72 hours, maybe two days after that cortisone shot, and started playing pretty well after that, right? Uh, yeah. Multiple 30-point games. He looked like the Dame Lillard we've come to know. But then at the end of December, and, you know, after CJ had already had his collapsed log, uh, you know, and the Blazers were str- really struggling defensively. There were some bright spots, but they just uh, you know, never, never quite got comfortable in Chauncey's system. That's when Dame's midsection really started to bother him again. And, you know, yeah, once exactly. after that uh, December 31st game against the Lakers was a loss when Dame just clearly wasn't himself, um, you know, and then the Blazers announced just shortly after that that he'd be out indefinitely. It was obvious this was a possibility, right? I think I even speculated, uh, or not speculated, I suggested, like I think it was January 3rd, I wrote something for Clutch Points that the Blazers should absolutely shut Dame down and tank. And here we are on April 5th, and there's just, what, five days left in the season, and the Blazers have been playing for lottery balls for six weeks. Right, and I don't think we were the only ones that thought that. I think at a certain point in time, even Blazers fans were like, okay, Dame is either dealing with a serious injury or we're just going to He's going to sit out for the rest of the season. This is going to be like a Kawhi-type situation here because uh, for me, I was thinking, you know what? Compared to a lot of other teams, uh, the Blazers, you know, Dame is their star player, and he's he's the point guard. You know, he's not the biggest player on the floor, but he is their, he's their superstar on the floor. Right. Compared to a team like, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks where their star is – you know, uh, the Greek freak Giannis, who's, you know, 6'11", you know, scratching seven feet tall. Um, the Blazers are really leaning on Dame as their kind of their foundation, the solid rock. And when your point guard goes down, you know, a lot of questions are out there. And that's what I thought immediately when we saw kind of Dame going back and forth. You know, he'd play and then, you know, take a few days off and come back. I was like, you know what? This can't be good because they this is their point guard. They have to depend on their leader. And when he's not there, you know, what's going to happen? Yeah. And what was really interesting, even, you know, those first that first month, six weeks of the season before Dame took those two weeks off to rest his midsection. I think he was shooting below 40 percent from the field, around 30 percent from three. And yet every on off indicator is that Dame was still the Blazers most impactful player or offensive mm-hmm. player. 
by far. And that's just because of the way mm-hmm. he ends the defense, whether coming off and pick and roll, you know, drawing two on the ball, because of course you have to worry about him launching from 30 feet. Um, and then also the, yeah. way he, the way he turns the corner and draws defense and gets into the paint, the Blazers just really didn't have anyone else who could do that off a live dribble consistently. Norman Powell could a little bit, but he was more of a, uh, you know, a catch and go type of guy rather than a guy who's going to set you up and pick and roll or even ISO and then just crease the paint that way and draw defenders that way and uh, kind of kind of get that churn going. So Dame made a huge, huge impact even when he wasn't playing well. So obviously once he was going to, or, you know, once he was down indefinitely, uh, the writing was on the wall to me for, for where this was going to go. And frankly, I'm just glad the Blazers have leaned into tanking as hard as they have. Yeah. Cause in my opinion, you gotta, you know, choose, you gotta go one way. You can't, you know, kind of be on the fence. You have to decide, okay, either we're going to try to really make a run by, you know, trying to, put the best lineup together we can, or uh, we just got to tank. And the season's over right now. And uh, by the time the season's officially over, we're already looking at summer league and the draft and, mm-hmm. and those type of things. And, and here's my perspective. You know, if you look at even just the rest of the Western conference, uh, you know, the teams that are at the top of the standings, they all kind of have multiple stars or multiple superstars where, the Blazers, you know, they had CJ, but of course he got shipped off to New Orleans. They got Nurk, but Nurk, like Dame, has been kind of injury plagued the entire season. And if you compare that to a team like Phoenix that has Devin Booker, CP3, Aiton, you know, if one guy goes down, there's not too much of a fall off there. Even with Golden State, when Steph is down like he's been, you got Klay Thompson in there and even Draymond lighting it up, and they're young guys. And the Blazers didn't really have that. Of course, we know. Um, Ant came in and he created a big impact and kind of had his coming out show, but you don't have that staple veteran that's, you know, even if Dame is out, he's going to, you know, kind of fill in his shoes. And I think that's what made the Blazers kind of play so bad once Dame really did sit down because, you know, who's, who's going to take that spot for him. Yeah. Especially that combined with, you know, the Blazers getting comfortable under a rookie head coach and completely changing the way they're playing on both sides of the ball. Um, under, under Chauncey Billups as opposed to the way they were playing under Terry Stotts. And it's, it's especially interesting to me that you mentioned Phoenix and Golden State. Phoenix is an absolute machine. Um, Absolutely. My God, they're, you know, they're, if they're not the best coach team in the league, they're certainly the most well-oiled team in the league, if that makes sense. They're yes. never taking any possessions off. They know exactly what they want to do on both sides of the ball, no matter who is, not only no matter who's in the game at, the, at any given time, but no matter who's available mm-hmm. on any given night. Like this is like, this is mm-hmm. the year Phoenix has really taken the leap to the point where, yes, they can be nearly as good without Chris Paul. And that just wasn't the case last season. And you can point to obviously Devin Booker's major improvement as a playmaker and him really kind of living up to expectations as a three-point shooter um you can you can point to deandre Ayton just making so many improvements on the margins uh you know mikhail bridges getting better off the dribble all the strides mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. has taken but like what that really what that really points to is just how well run they are and you can kind of say and you can kind of talk uh kind of speak to that with the warriors a little bit as well um that they're a little mm-hmm. more reliant on steph curry uh than Phoenix is on any other player, but any one player. But I just think that's something worth, uh, you know, worth remembering here is that it wasn't just that Dame was out, uh, you know, for three right. weeks and then out since January 3rd. It wasn't just that CJ had the pneumothorax. It wasn't just that Norman Powell, you know, missed two or three weeks uh, on either side of December or January with personal reasons. It was also that they, all that was happening while the Blazers were getting used to playing under Chauncey Billups and while Chauncey yep. Billups was getting used to becoming a head coach in the NBA. 
Right. And like you said, to me, at the end of the day, it's just too many variables. There's too much things going on, too many rings in the circus for any winning to really happen, at least consistent winning, because they did win games here and there. But I mean, I think you would agree in the last couple years, we've seen times where, you know, Dame might need to, you know, do a little bit of load management and take some time off and they could go on a nice little run with CJ and be just fine. Uh, but for some reason this season, you know, that wasn't really the case. I think also possibly you throw in the mix of all these trade rumors and, you know, does Dane want to be in Portland? Does he want to stay in Portland long term? It just didn't help, you know, for a season that's already been rocky almost all year for the most part. Yeah. And another thing that's kind of gone overlooked because of the injuries to Dame, to CJ, uh, to, to Norm is that you know, the Blazers were really counting on improved depth this season. That's one of the reasons why I was more optimistic about this team and kind of the bigger picture as opposed to last Mm -hmm. year's teams because they replaced Ennis Cantor and Carmelo Anthony essentially with Larry Nance and Cody Zeller. You know, that's just like, that would have been a huge defensive upgrade. And we actually saw it at times. Uh, Mm -hmm. We we did see it at times, but those guys, and I, I wrote about this before the season, those guys, Nance and Zeller, have been injury prone their entire careers. And, you know, yep. within, within six weeks of tip off of the regular season, I think Zeller had already, you know, experienced multiple injuries. And then, you know, it was whether or not he was going to come back at all. And then Nance, even right, right when he was traded, he'd been out for a while. Um, and there was even speculation that after he was traded by New Orleans, that he wouldn't come back. He actually just came back to the lineup. But for a team like the Blazers, you mentioned that they just have the one superstar, right? When mm-hmm. your seventh and eighth man or sixth and seventh man or whatever, or whatever you want to call Zeller and Nance or Nance and Zeller is actually a better way to put it. Nance was more <laughs> Cody. better ring. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, when those guys go down and you don't have the buffer of that additional superstar next to your top guy, it's just going to hurt mm-hmm. you even more than it would those other teams with that, you know, with multiple two or three top tier talents, like you mentioned. So that's just something that's gone a little overlooked as well. Uh, and just something, you know, you know, that you won't really think about when looking back on this season is that, Oh yeah, that's right. Larry Nance and Cody Zeller also missed a bunch of time, but that absolutely matters. You know? Absolutely. And I think the sentiment that, that will really sit with me as the season kind of comes to an end for uh, this Portland team and uh, uh, the roster and even the front offices Portland was kind of like a revolving door this year. I mean, of course we had, you know, Chauncey Billups come in as head coach, but you know, you saw the, the changes in the, the front office with the uh, GMs and just a whole lot of stuff going on there. And then on top of that, you got players coming in and out, you know, guys doing, uh, you know, 10 day contracts here and there, and they either get extended or, you know, they're gone after 10 games. And, you know, of course the team was injury plagued, but I think when you have that much, just, uh, what's what's the word? I don't know. Craziness. It was it was just craziness a lot going crazy. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, crazy. It was just hectic. And, it really was you know, <laughs> right. It, it was. It was. And and especially like you said, when you don't have your leader and a Dame Lillard, and you have a new coach and a bunch of young guys, it's kind of like you know, where is this ship going right now? You can only you can only sink. You know, from this yeah. point, there's nothing else to do. Um, and you're not really you know uh, uh staying afloat out there, and so. You know, I'm optimistic going into next season, but as of now, like you said, we're pretty much in the last week of uh, Blazers basketball for this uh, this NBA season, and 
you know, I, I, I'm almost kind of thankful that it's coming to an end here, finally. <laughs> I can't say I disagree. And it also bears mentioning that we're actually recording this episode as the Blazers are playing. And of course, in a real year, hopefully where the Blazers are competing, we would definitely not be doing that because the Blazers wouldn't be playing for lottery balls against the Oklahoma City Thunder tonight. They would hopefully be playing for playoff seating. Um, so right, exactly. We can cross our fingers that that's going to happen uh, next season. Just before we before we kind of close the book, at least for this episode, mm-hmm. on what happened this season, I just have a pretty simple question for you. What do you think of Yusuf Nurkic this season in general, uh, but then also more specifically him defensively? Yeah, I always enjoy his game. I think he's a very humble player and he's very consistent. Um, I know he's been nagged by injuries this year and spent a lot of time on the bench more than the Blazers uh, probably wanted. But I do think that a healthy Nurk uh, is a great asset, especially for Dame at point guard, because obviously we know Dame can't do him by himself. He needs somebody to bang in the post or somebody to uh, run that pick and roll with. And I think with the loss of C.J., you know, he's got to have another sidekick. He's got to have uh, especially uh, a sizable sidekick. Let me add that. He can't just have another guy. We know Ant, you know, had a great year. Uh, we know that young man has some some great talent and intangibles. But you got to have somebody with some height that, like, like I said, you can run that pick and roll. Um, you can get him on the baseline. You can drop it down to him. And Nurk has always been a good bucket, in my opinion. And I feel like he's also a good matchup uh, for the other bigs in the West as well. You know, he's long. He's tall. He's got some weight on him. And I think when he's healthy, that'll kind of help with uh, just kind of stabilizing, you know, this sinking ship that seems to be the uh, the theme of <laughs> tonight's episode. But uh, yeah, I think I, I help- segment, I'll say that just for the first segment. <laughs> Right, right, right. For the first segment, at least. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, a healthy Nurk uh, is a good Nurk, in uh, in my opinion. You can quote me on that. <laughs> so you're so you're of the opinion the Blazers should re-sign Nurk this summer then, because he's a free agent. Absolutely, yeah. You got you got to hold on to Nurk. He's familiar with Dame. Uh, he seems to have a good relationship with uh, Coach Chauncey Billups. Yep. And you know he's a he's kind of a staple for this this Blazers team. The fans love him. Um, uh, yeah. I would if if it was my choice and I was making the decision, yeah, I'd give him whatever he wants and you know try to run it back again uh, with Dame and you know some of these young guys. Whatever he wants. What if he asks? Yeah, you, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Not too much. <laughs> Two years, sixty million dollars, player option. Take it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, no super max. Up. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Um, I, I mean, it seems like a formality at this point that Nurk is coming back. Uh, Dame has even alluded to it that he'll be back next season. And just from a cap perspective, it's the only mm-hmm. way the Blazers offseason makes sense is that if they retain Nurk's cap hold and then re-sign him with bird rights. So I think we can definitely, definitely uh, anticipate that happening. And one of the reasons why is because I was really surprised at how really impactful he was defensively this season Mm -hmm. and he was in the past and anyone who's watched the Blazers knows that that he's kind of been their their bellwether on that side of the ball for the last two or three years but I was a little concerned this season with the scheme change that Nurk Mm -hmm. not that he wouldn't make as big an impact necessarily but just that the aggressive aggressive scheme that calls for him to get out on the floor and you know stop the ball corral the ball Mm -hmm. handler and then immediately get back to the paint and you know, as as his teammates rotate back out to their orig- original assignments, that just puts a lot of stress on someone who's six eleven and you know how big is Nurk? Two hundred eighty five pounds. I think he's listed right. two eighty, probably a little, probably a little bigger. But right. instead, exactly. I thought he did really, really well um, in a in a system that again is not designed for his strengths. Like you know, that's a that's a system that's best for a guy like Evan Mobley or you right. know, even a, even a guy like Jared Allen now. 
Um, yeah. His yeah. teammate in Cleveland, you know, it was popularized by Chris Bosh with the Heatles in the, you know, in the, in the early 2010s. You, you want a guy like Chris Bosh, you know, trapping the ball and then reverting back to the paint. Um, as yes. quick as and instead it was Yusuf Nurkic. And despite the fact that the Blazers obviously aren't a good, weren't a good defensive team this season, mm-hmm. they were far, far better when Nurk was on the floor. And I've actually got some stats here for that. Mm-hmm. This is from okay. Cleaning the Glass, which is just an indispensable site for any NBA fan, really, uh, but especially analysts. The Blazers were, they allowed 10.9 fewer points per 100 possessions on defense when Nurk was on the floor. Minus 10.9 net rating uh, defensively when Nurk was on the floor. And again, that's you want you want a you want a negative um, net rating when you're talking about defense, and of course some of that has to do with the fact that Zeller was injured, Nance was injured, as we've discussed. Trendon Watford was Nurk's backup at center for a little while, so yeah, there's a little noise behind those numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that the Blazers defended 11 points per 100 possessions better when Nurk was on the floor, but it still speaks to just how good he was in this system. Um, so yeah, I was just I was just really really impressed with Nurk defensively this season again, especially given the context. So that's something to look forward to next season, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. And like I said, my my last note on that is I'm a fan of Nurk. I'm, I was sad that um, you know his, his his body didn't hold up as maybe it it should have or could have this season. But I'm hopeful for next season. And you know, I have to reiterate the Blazers, in my opinion, have to bring him back because if you think of the other bigs in the West that are going to be coming into Portland. You know, you have to deal with Carl Anthony Towns with the Timberwolves. You know, you got to deal with the Joker out of Denver. You know, you got to deal with, I know Draymond's not the biggest big, but, you know, he he has a presence down there in the post and he, he gets nasty. So uh, even Aiton with uh, the Phoenix Suns, you, yeah. you, you got to have somebody to uh, play defense on these other bigs that are, you know, really right now on better teams that, you know, have a lot more other players. Like you said, they, they're, they're, they're like machines for the most part. Um, so I feel like Nurk, yeah, you got to bring him back and, you know, we'll just hope that everybody's healthy next season. So we have better results than this year. So just one other question on the Blazers this season, and we can just handle it as quickly as possible if we want, mm-hmm. though, given some of the teams that may come up, <laughs> may take right. a longer, where do the Blazers rank in terms of this season's biggest disappointments for you? Well, to me, I'll keep it in the Western conference. They tie with the Lakers. Um, they they tie with my beloved Lakers, who had a terrible season, uh, garbage, trash. I have no compliments <laughs> at all. But the reason that I tie them with the Lakers is because both these squads had a lot of nagging injuries. You know, AD, LeBron with his ankle or whatever's going whatever's going on there. We had guys that didn't even play pretty much the entire season. So, you know. To me, the seasons were pretty comparable. I think the Lakers might be two spots above them in the standings right now, so not that big of a difference. But both teams plagued by injuries, and we know kind of what their potential and their ceiling is when everybody's healthy. So, um, you know, going into next season, I guess we'll see, you know, if everybody's good to go, uh, if the results are any better. So I always forget you're a Lakers fan, by the way. And you, you, you always mention it. You say, my beloved Lakers. I go, oh, yes. What a, what a rough season for Justin. I know. Right. Coming into the year, did you have high expectations for them then? Uh, for the Lakers? Yeah. I did. I did. I had high expectations. Now, I was a little hesitant. I didn't know how 
this whole experiment was going to work with Russell Westbrook coming in. Um, I mean, we know how the Lakers work with LeBron and AD, and I, I knew Melo was going to be a great piece uh, with him and uh, LeBron's history. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melo being so great for the Blazers, um, just, you know, what was that, not even a year ago that he was in Portland? Yeah, crazy. Um, so, yeah, I knew he was going to come in, shoot the lights out, be a great player either off the bench or just a support role uh, veteran for the Lakers. But I didn't think it would be – this bad i I thought maybe we'd be a lock for the playoffs wouldn't be so far down trying to get into a playing game kind of depending on other teams uh wins and losses so yeah this season is kind of a a throwaway uh for me but hey thankfully i you know i'm my job is to cover the blazers so i don't have to that's a good distraction uh, for the lakers for me (laughs) such a fun distraction when they've been outwardly tanking since the all-star break the most most fun for all of us right and and we're not going to mention jack the last time you went to a game we're not even going to (laughs) say (laughs) uh hey man me and ben simmons and dwight howard herniated discs it's tough to sit there let me tell you um i'll say this we disagree a bit on carmelo uh once they signed, once the once the Blazers signed Russ, and it was apparent that just because of the uh, the cap hit, the collective cap hit of Russ, AD, and LeBron, that they were going to have to fill out the roster with fringe guys, mostly minimum players. That's when I knew that the Lakers could be in trouble. I obviously didn't think that they'd miss the play-in tournament altogether, mm-hmm. um, though you know it's not exactly surprising that Anthony Davis got injured or that thirty-seven-year-old LeBron James, you know, missed, uh, you know missed a few games, uh, you know, every right. now and then. obviously that could have been anticipated, but what also could have been anticipated is that if you're relying on Carmelo Anthony and Trevor Ariza for big minutes, uh, or even Kent Bazemore in, oh, 20, in, in 2022, that's going to be tough. Like I remember before the season, there was some talk about, Oh, what's the late, what's the Lakers best closing lineup. And it's like, Oh, well, LeBron and AD, of course, I guess you got to have Russ out there. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I would have, but you know, uh, it's easy for me to say is not, not being Frank Vogel, not looking at an MVP, <laughs> the best players of all time in the face and telling him to sit on the bench. But beyond those three, you think like, oh, okay, Trevor Ariza, a nice, a nice three and D guy. And then maybe they can put, uh, you know, even Kendrick Nunn out there. And he hasn't played at all this season. Right. You know? He hasn't played at all this entire season. And then, then Baysmore was unplayable. Uh, apparently, right. I, I'm, I was never never been a huge fan of his game. He obviously struggled his season in Portland. Um, yes. Then who is it going to be? Was it going to be Avery Bradley? And then, it, and then it was suddenly going to be Stanley Johnson. And then it was Austin Reeves, an undrafted rookie. It's just like, oh, that team Too much. has no talent. Yeah, um, it is no talent outside of LeBron and AD. And, you know, Russ is obviously, you know, a hot-button topic at this point, um, mm-hmm. you know, where, where you think he ranks in the league. It's how good you think he is at this point in his career. But it's, a, it's obvious right now that he's not a – not a true star anymore. And so if he's he's down at that level, which seems, you know, pretty self-evident at this point, it's just the Lakers were just always, always going to struggle beyond just because they had so their lack of talent beyond LeBron and AD, but just was abysmal. (laughs) Right. And yeah, at the end of the day, if you would have told me that the Blazers and the Lakers would be where they are now, uh, at the end of the season, I would I wouldn't have believed it. That that's no, yeah. I would have I would have called somebody a liar. I would have said it's heresy. Uh, yeah, there's, there's no way there's no way I would have took that at all. No, I totally agree, and and, and that's see, I would think the the Lakers are a little more disappointing than the Blazers just because the Lakers were not a consensus title favorite, but a lot of people believed they were the title favorites coming into the year. Oh man! And the, and the Blazers, let's be honest, uh, I thought they were going to be good. You know, I thought they'd make the playoffs this season. I did not sure. think they'd be a top four team in the West. Um, you know, 
So I thought I thought it'd be another first round flameout, basically. So if we're ranking uh, teams in terms of di- in terms of disappointments, I think we can all agree the Lakers are probably first, and then the Blazers are in. For <laughs> me, the Blazers are in some time, type of morass or muck with the Hawks, the Nets, and the Knicks. But as you said, those teams are on the East Coast. We don't need to talk about them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We are <laughs> in the West Coast for sure. Western Conference. This is where we live. Exactly. All right. Let's move on uh, from the disappointment of this season to the promise of tomorrow. Oh, boy. The, I know, which for the Blazers is the most uh, is most manifested in the form of two potential lottery picks in the 2022 NBA draft. Uh, on our lost episode, uh, Justice, we obviously talked a lot about the draft. And I'm not going to say who you compared Chet Holmgren to, but I haven't, <laughs> I haven't forgotten. Um, and I also haven't forgotten how high you were on Paolo Bancaro. So just right at the beginning when we talk about the draft here, are you still favoring Bancaro uh, as the Blazers' <laughs> ideal pick? You know, say, say the Blazers get the number one pick. Do you still like Paolo? You know, one thing I, one thing I love about you, Jack, is your memory is is excellent. You have an excellent memory. And uh, you know what's so funny is uh, I don't want to walk back my take. No, that's fine. Um, uh, any of the takes from our lost episode that, you know, were released <laughs> one day when we're old and gray. Uh, but I do have a new, uh, what's the word? Uh, I have a remix on on the okay. take. And this is only, you know, for those listening, of course, March Madness has been revolving around us like a like a planet. Um, and as I've been watching, you know, these young college guys, uh, I, I, I believe I found myself a stud. I believe I found a guy that I would I would draft him today and he was not included in the last conversation we had. So I don't I don't care if you call me Mr. Bandwagon or, you know, I'm late to the party. Uh, but I do want to say uh, number two. North Carolina, Mr. Caleb Love. Yeah, that's my guy right there. Yep, I'm a fan. I'm truly a fan. I, it certainly stuck out to me watching the Final Four in that Duke-Carolina game. That Duke, or excuse me, Carolina just had so much more juice off the bounce, and that was mostly because of Caleb Love. Yes. Um, and I... And I'm not. I'm actually not super familiar with him. I think he's a pretty highly recruited guy. I think he's a sophomore. He's a sophomore this season, and it really kind of struggled a bit. I think mm-hmm. um, living up to expectations, at least coming out of high school, certainly as a freshman, and then at the beginning of this season, and then really came on in the tournament. Um, so, you, are you suggesting that you'd take him with like a top ten pick? Then, yes, absolutely. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, that's what I was, that's why I wanted to prepare you, kind of prep you, and say, <laughs> hey, my, this take, this is a. Br- Oh, might as well be a brand new take because from what I saw from this kid, I think he's got it. And I know he struggled a little bit, but his games, his highlights that I saw during the tournaments, there's something, I don't know, there's something there. He gave me a, you know, I don't want to do the NBA comparison thing because that yeah. you know, never goes well. But if we're just doing, if we're going size-wise, he's 6'4", 195. So he's not... He's not really that thin, you know. He's got some some weight on him, got a little bit of muscle. He gives me a almost Dwayne, a young Dwayne Wade uh, type of what's the word? I guess stature. I don't want to you know compare their games. Totally different players. Sure, but the six four, so not exactly six five, not exactly six three. Right in in between, you know, not super frail. Got some weight on him. Can kind of you know get into the paint when he wants to and his mid-range game is kind of his bread and butter mm-hmm. i i like that and, and that's what really what i saw in uh pb over at uh at duke but i think caleb loves for some reason just might be a little bit sharper i, I don't i don't know i that's what i saw 
That's fascinating to me because as far as I know, I don't think Caleb Love is considered a, even a lottery prospect. Um, no, and, or, and I don't even think know, he's going into the like draft. I don't think. Pick, right. I'm not, even, I'm not even totally sure he's coming out, though I think he probably should because I can't imagine his stock will get much higher after leading eight-seed Carolina to the title game with that epic right. with Duke. Exactly. Um, so I think he should come out. Um, as mm-hmm. far as what I think of his NBA prospects, again, I had no idea you were going to say this. But, <laughs> I, I just don't think he profiles as a starter to me. Okay. I, think, I think he's probably best off the bench as kind of a microwave scorer. Okay. Um, Cause I'm not sure. I'm not sure how well he sees the floor. I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to be, you know, your full-time floor general. I don't think you want him running an offense. Sure. Um, so, you know, but, and that, and that actually kind of tracks with his draft stock, right? If he comes out, I think he'll probably, you know, maybe go mid late first round um, okay. best at this point. So that's kind of, that's kind of how I see Caleb Love. Um, but you think he'd be a good fit with the Blazers, though? I do. Oh, absolutely. And here's why. Like I said, I don't like doing the, you know, compare the college kid to the to the pro guy, to the right. NBA guy, just because I feel like it's unfair. But uh, because we're talking Blazers here, talking Trailblazers, shameful plug, <laughs> uh, I feel like a, similar to a role that CJ played with Dame, a, a young guy or young kid like Caleb Love could play also because he's not exactly as small as Dame. And I shouldn't say that me and Dame are the same height. Uh, he's not, he's not six, three, you know, he's six, four, he's not six, six, not six, five, but he's just tall enough that he can play that two guard spot. He can, you know, he has good ball handle. It's not, you know, Allen Iverson level, but it's enough to get the job done. And maybe running a pick and roll with a guy like Nurk, he can get those mid-range jumpers. He can go baseline. That's what I see when I look at his game that, okay, he can make a good number two. Not exactly a one, you know, not running the whole offense, but... You know, if he's paired with a excellent point guard like a Dame or, you know, any of the other um, uh, star point guards in the NBA, I could see that that kind of working out. That's interesting to me. So last time and again, I, I don't know why I keep referencing last episode because no one is ever going to hear it. Right. Um, but you expressed a little skepticism and it's actually our final topic, too. Um, OK. About, An- about Anthony Simons. And we'll wait a bit to get into him because we, <laughs> we want to talk about him in depth. But I just think it's interesting to me that mm-hmm. it's you seem a little more keen on starting Caleb Love in the backcourt or, or a guy like Caleb Love, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. next, next to Dame, then you then you do Ann. Is that right? That is right. Now, if I'm Chauncey Billups, I know Caleb Love might not even enter the draft. He might go back to school. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't think he's announced that he's entering the draft. So this is just yeah. fantasy here. But say he did, say the Blazers got that pick. To start off, I would like to see him come off the bench. Because he's a rookie, you know, first year. You know, I don't want to throw him right right in the starting lineup. You know, he's kind of got to show me something in the league before we do that, unless he just he was to blow up summer league, like he right. just was to go crazy. Um, so I wouldn't mind Anthony in that spot. But in my opinion, they could almost kind of be interchangeable. Mm-hmm. If Ant's on the bench, you know, throw Caleb Love in there. If Caleb Love's on the bench, throw Ant in there. And I feel like you have a almost a – what's the word? You have a fresh – a, a fresh two guard um, in every in every quarter yeah. that, and they have similar games. Not saying that Caleb Love can create a shot or you know go for forty or you know thirty five like we've seen Ant do throughout this season, mm-hmm. uh, but two guys who their mid range game is butter and they're not afraid to go to the cup. If that makes sense, it does make sense. Um, but what's interesting to me is that 
say the Blazers, you know, they, they're probably not going to get the top pick, right? I think their, right. their lottery odds are sixth right now. So they'll probably end up with a fifth or sixth pick. So, sure. say, so say they do end up a, a, around that range. I think it'd be very beneficial for them to draft a forward rather than a guard, just based on the composition of the roster right now, which is one of the reasons why I think Keegan Murray from Iowa is a guy who they could very well target at five, um, especially because the top four in the draft are, in whoever you want to say, these top three, Paolo Bancaro, Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, and then Purdue's Jaden Ivey, a guard, a really electric guard is kind of that that consensus fourth guy, but beyond those top four guys, there's, there's a little bit of a drop off and that's where Keegan Murray could really separate himself. And I just think he'd be a great fit for the Blazers. He's six, eight, two twenty-five, the six eleven wingspan. He's a forward can kind of play both the four and five. He's got pretty good instincts defensively over two blocks and a steal per game this season. Uh, he's the big 10 player of the year, 23.5 points, 8.7 rebounds per game. And he shot 55.4% overall and just below 40% from three on nearly five attempts per game. One of the things I really like about Keegan Murray is that he's just so scalable on both sides of the ball. And I think that's really what the Blazers need, especially from a forward. And especially even if Justice, you don't think that uh, Dame (laughs) is going to start next to Dame. I think they will. But uh, those guys are going to get a lot of playing time together, and the Blazers are just going to need as much length on the floor as possible. And Mm -hmm. Keith Murray has some of that. He's got a seven-foot wingspan. Uh, Like I said, he's got good timing as a shot blocker and a help defender at the nail. But what I really, really like is that he's a potential switch defender. He can potentially – I say potentially because there were some times in the tournament where he got burned uh, laterally just off the dribble, and that's obviously not something you wanted to see from a guy who uh, has switch potential. But scouts do say that – you know, with some more time in the weight room, some more time working on his body, then he could absolutely be be the type of guy who starts at the four, but then he can switch on to ones and twos and even play some small ball five for you. And that's, again, while being a 40% shooter from three at Iowa this season and being able to make some plays with the ball both at the rim where he shot 72% at Iowa and then, in, then from the mid-range as well. So I really, really think that if the Blazers aren't going to get the number one pick, and it seems like they aren't, let's be honest, then they mm-hmm. actually do need to factor in positional need and roster fit here just because let's be honest they're trying to win next season dame is right we hope (laughs) yeah yeah exactly dame dame is still on this roster and until he's not the blazers need to be trying to win and that's one of the reasons why i think keegan murray would be such a great fit as opposed to you know a guard like caleb love or even Jaden ivy if he was able to fall oh Jaden ivy i forgot him yeah, that oh man, he's another real deal. See, now you're bringing up all the other guys that I didn't even think of. Jaden Ivey, that dude is the real deal. I I don't know who he's going to. Um, if if I, I mean, I don't think the Blazers would choose him anyway if he did right. drop to their pick. Yeah. But he's another. Because here's my question: This will solidify, and I'll really know your stance as far as you know going to the draft and even summer league. Mm-hmm. Right now. Uh, the Blazers with, say, a healthy Dame, healthy Nurk, and then, you know, I'll even throw Ant in the starting lineup with whoever else you want to throw in there, Nas probably. Mm-hmm. You think that's enough offensive firepower with what they have right now, just without without any draft picks, just those guys right now healthy? Is that enough firepower on the offense, in your opinion? I honestly just don't worry about the offense at all. You know? Oh, okay. Um, I mean, right. you know, Dame has Dame has been an offense unto himself for the last two or three seasons when he was healthy. I think the Blazers have had a top three, top four offense for the last three or four years. Um, I agree. You know, that's that's because Dame's been on the floor. 
You know, it's because Dame is a singular driver of offense. That's like we were talking before. Uh, just mm-hmm. because he immediately draws two defenders almost from the time he crosses half court. And he's gotten so much better at, you know, reading, reading screens out of that situation, hitting the short roller, uh, hitting the guy on the wing who then could hit the roller. Um, really just being patient and letting those double teams come to him and mapping the floor. I, so yeah, I'm not, I'm actually not worried about the offense at all. Do I think that, you know, a core of Damian Lillard, Anthony Simons, uh, Nasir Little, Yusuf Nurkic and Josh Hart, those are just the, you know, the five surefire rotation players for the Blazers next season. Do I think that that's, Mm -hmm. you know, an inevitable top five offense? No, not quite. Um, but what I do think is that if Dame comes back, you know, better than ever, as he's, as he said, he's going to, you know, he's, he's been saying of late that, uh, you know, he didn't realize just how bad he was feeling in his midsection until he got the surgery. You know, I believe it. I believe it. He's of the opinion that he's going to come back better than ever at 32 next season. Um, and if he he does, yeah, I absolutely think the Blazers will have a top five offense. I will be much, much, much more worried about the defense. And that's why I think a guy like Keegan Murray makes sense or, and just while I'm talking here, I do have kind of a dark horse or a draft sleeper, if you will, oh, Justice. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's not as deep a cut as Caleb Love. I'll say that. Okay. All right. Definitely not that deep a cut. But Jeremy Sohan, a freshman from Baylor, 6'9", 230, seven-foot wingspan, kind of in the same vein as Keegan Murray in terms of uh, in terms of his two-way versatility. He was a late bloomer, wasn't super highly recruited. Um, I was actually doing some – High school, high school basketball scouting uh, back when oh. back when he was a senior, and I think he was even ranked just in the eighties or nineties for the outlet I was working for at that time. Um, so he was he was not a super highly touted guy, but then he comes into Baylor this season, and he just becomes the epitome of positionless basketball. He would play at the top of their two three zone. He'd play at the top of their full court press. He'd bring the ball up sometimes. He'd rake and take. Uh, they'd run some actions with him at the elbow. Um, no, he's not, you know, he's not very skilled at this point, which is obviously a big problem. <laughs> like he's, right. not, he's not a shooter. Um, I've, I've actually compared him to a, uh, Scotty Barnes almost, but ah. a less skilled, less skilled. Like, like Scotty okay. Barnes turned out to be a much better shooter this season than anyone anticipated. But Jeremy Sohan isn't, isn't the shooter Scotty Barnes is, you know, the ball mm-hmm. handler and, you know, he just doesn't have the knack to score to use his, uh, you know, to use that big body the way Scotty does. Um, however, I really, really like the type of guy like Jeremy Sohan, who's not only a late bloomer um, and so has so much obvious room to grow, but then is just so comfortable with the ball and so comfortable on the floor that he can do multiple things for you on both sides of the ball, whether it's you know playing small ball five and you know, switching, uh, whether it's you know being really active as a help defender or you know, being becoming a, a weak side rim protector or you know, pushing the ball in transition or just even, even running, even running offense through him. You know, he could even bring the ball up and they could and get Dame running, uh, you know, running off some screens in the, from the corner, you know, just, there's just so much a versatile guy like that provides that, you know, I'll just say like a, you know, a guy like Caleb Love, for instance, not to, not to call you out. <laughs> <laughs> right. Of course not. But I just mean like a, a more versatile player. And you know, there's so much talk about positionless basketball right now. Um, and there has been, you know, for the last half decade or so. And like I said, Jeremy Sohan really epitomizes that. And I think that's, what Chauncey wants, um, you know, from his role players, especially from his forwards. And, you know, let's be honest, that's, that's the biggest, uh, that's, that's where the Blazers lack more depth than anywhere else is at forward. So I think a guy like Jeremy Sohan could be a really interesting pick for the Blazers if their, if their draft selection ends up six or seven, um, then who knows what's going to happen with that New Orleans pick as well. You know what I will say, um, 
regarding Jeremy is I'm not opposed to it only because like we talked about earlier, uh, the Blazers really need big guys that can move, especially yeah. because they play in the West. I mean, we know what the, uh, the Western Conference standings look like right now. We know what those rosters look like. And pretty much all those teams, they really move. And with, whether it's in transition or even in their half-court offense, it's just bodies flying everywhere. Yep. And we know how Nurk's footwork is. And, you know, he's going to take up space down there in the paint. He's going to be big on the block. But – we need somebody that can move their feet and really, you know, switch or you mm-hmm. know, get through those pick and rolls and get back to the basket. And, you know, I, I, I do have some faith in Jeremy. If, 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 if Portland did decide to go that route, if he drops that low, which, you know, it's possible. Cause like you said, he's kind of a dark horse uh, pick at this point. I, I wouldn't be mad at that pick that I don't think that'd be a bad pick uh, for the Blazers at all. Uh, I don't think so. I think you, uh, you, you actually might have me convinced the more I think about it, and realize, yeah, he's light on his feet, which is what, yeah, yeah, we need that in the paint right now. Exactly, and I, I will say this though: drafting a guy like Jeremy Sohan would be a lot easier for the Blazers if Dame wasn't on the roster, right? Because I don't think you can necessarily expect a guy like him, who you know, like I like I keep saying, was ranked in the eighties, nineties in his class, to immediately come in and be a contributor next season. And that's what the Blazers want from this rookie, probably. Um, True. From, from the from the the lottery pick that it seems like they're definitely going to pick or keep. I highly doubt they trade both though. As we discussed on our last episode, uh, there are multiple reports that the, that the Blazers, if they get that New Orleans pick could trade it uh, to the Detroit Pistons for Jeremy Grant. Mm-hmm. Um, but since, but since Grant has now come up, like just, just think about what a, uh, you know, what an idealized Jeremy Sohan and Jeremy Grant could do at your four and five, you know, especially if you had Nasir little at the, at the three, and then maybe you put Josh Hart at the two out there with Dame. That's not bad. Right? Right? I mean, not bad. It, it sounds good, and even on paper, that, that almost looks good to me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, yeah, and you keep mentioning this, all the different types of teams there are in the Western Conference, all the big men you need to match up with. If the Blazers could get that type of stylistic versatility on defense from their backup center, um, you know, even, even if it's a guy who profiles as a forward but plays backup center sometimes, that could just be very, very helpful for them next season, and especially accounting for – like we keep saying, the uh, defensive deficiencies of two six three guards in, in Damon Ant. True, and and one thing that I, I do believe the Blazers actually have, you know, on their side right now is youth, uh, which is definitely mm-hmm. needed in today's game. It's a young man's game. Uh, Dame at this point is pretty much the vet. I I wouldn't be surprised if he's the old, oldest player on the team. Um, uh, let's if not the oldest close. Um, I'm Joe, I, guess, right? I guess Joe Ingles is still on the roster right now. Oh, I, don't yeah. <laughs> think, I don't think he's going to resign in Portland. Um, no, forgot about Joe. Well, it's easy to forget about him because he's because he's injured, and then he he actually really struggled with Utah uh, this season. I've been a big fan of his game for a really long time, but um, Dame actually in a recent interview mentioned how he. Um, expects Ingles to be back next season, or maybe he didn't say he expects Ingles to be back next season, but he's mentioned Ingles as part part of the core, which I thought was really interesting, not only because Ingles is in his mid thirties and coming off an ACL tear that I think he suffered in February. So it's not like he's going to be ready for the season uh, Mm -hmm. for next season, but also because after Ingles was traded, he'd said something about re-signing with the jazz because that's where his home is. That's, you know, that's the team he really came up in the NBA with and established. Mm -hmm. So, uh, no, that'll be interesting to see what happens, see what happens with Ingles. I would love it if he signed in Portland and, uh, you know, 
played at the level he did last season, which when I think he probably should have won sixth man of the year over his teammate, Jordan Clarkson. But unfortunately, I just don't see it. So I do think that Dame, uh, in fact, will be that elder statesman for the Blazers next year. Yeah, most definitely. And I'm with you. Uh, I wouldn't be mad if, 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 if Joe did decide to stay in Portland. He's a great shooter. I'm a great veteran player. Um, you know, you pretty much put him anywhere on the floor. And if you get him in a pick and roll situation, he's going to knock down a three or at least a mid range jumper for you. Um, so I think he could, he would be a great asset for Dame, almost kind of having like a, uh, being like the substitute for missing out on Melo this season where, you know, you have another vet who can get you buckets, you know, knock down their free throws, kind of do the basics, you know, while the young guys kind of get out there and fly around and, you know, jump through the roof as uh, as we've seen this season. Well, the thing about Joe Ingles, too, is that he's an awesome passer. Uh, not a, not just an awesome and natural and willing passer, but that's what he wants to do more than anything else. For a long time in Utah, Quinn Snyder had to beg him to shoot more. Um, so, so unfortunately, that's probably a hypothetical. I, I think we both kind of agree that Ingles probably isn't coming back to Portland next season. And if he is, then let's be honest, it's probably asking too much of him to be a impact rotation player at 35 coming off an ACL tear, given how much he struggled uh, before getting injured with Utah. This yeah. Yeah. And, and it's crazy. Even just as I'm thinking, of, as we kind of wrap the, wrap it up on Joe and yeah. uh, these other guys, the the Blazers are just for the longest time. Um, I don't think they were in a weird place. They were just in a place where they were kind of stagnant. You know, the front office wasn't making a whole lot of moves that were going to benefit Dame. Uh, they seemed to be kind of hesitant and just kind of, you know, just not involved. And now we're at a point where it's almost like everybody in the front office is involved, but what are we doing? You know, it's, it's just like, you know, <laughs> they, moves are being made, but it's like, uh, we're, we're in that weird place again where we got a bunch of young guys and we got a pick and Dame's hurt. Nurk is hurt. Mm-hmm. CJ's gone. And it's like, it's almost like the sunken place type of feeling. Like, I don't Ooh. It's weird. I don't know. What, what do you think? I, that's how I feel. Well, I, I know something The you know, it's it's uh, it's self-evident at this point. It's almost a formality that the Blazers are going to be re-signing Anthony Simons this summer. So that's something they're definitely going to do. And it's going to be for a massive number. Oh, um, yes. I think it was probably February, right when Ant was getting hot after he'd kind of taken over as the Blazers lead guard. I compared his potential contract to Fred Van Vliet's contract from last summer, and I believe that was four years, eighty-five million. Okay. Oh man, I would not be shocked if uh, the Blazers ended up having to pay more than that for Ant, uh, depending on what he gets on the open market. Um, and if Oof. and if you know any any team wants to sign him to an offer sheet, but you think about the Detroit Pistons, and they're one of five or six teams who are actually going to have meaningful cap space this summer. Would Anthony Simons not be an ideal backcourt partner for Cade Cunningham? Oh, man, he would be perfect. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, defensive issues notwithstanding um, for him, but just offensively, he would just be absolutely perfect because then Cade Cade could continue playing on the ball um, where he utilizes his size, his pace, his passing ability. And, you know, then all of a sudden you have Anthony Simons on the other side of the floor who has to be guarded, but then you can also run a second side pick and roll where he can bring the ball up himself himself and initiate offense to to let Cade play off the ball. They would just be an incredible pairing to me. and obviously one that the Pistons could grow with for the next half half decade plus. So I would not be surprised if a team sign if a team like the Pistons signed Anthony Simons to an offer sheet that the Blazers would then have to match, but is very, very rich and a little richer than the Blazers would like to pay. But like I like I said, 
Ant's going to be back in Rip City next season. And I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, he better be. If he if he's not, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say it's going to be bad, but it, be bad. It, okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Jack saying it will be bad. <laughs> I'll say it. I mean, I, I think I think Ant has even said uh, it was a, a month ago. I think that he wants to be back. He expects to be back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, the, the Blazers aren't going to let a player like Anthony Simons leave when they control his contract, right? Because they, right. they can they can match whatever offer sheet he signs with another team, um, and they're going to. So uh, that's definitely going to happen. And which actually leads us into our next segment, and it is basically justice. What are you expecting from Anthony Simons next season? Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of what we saw this year, but I think we're going to see it of it more. Uh, what's the word? Here's what I'll say. I'll say we're going to see a lot more of what he did this season when Dame was out, um, when CJ was out, and he kind of took over. And um, even as a young guy, just kind of was a fearless leader out there on the floor, uh, being the uh, general of all these other young guys as well. Uh, but I think we're going to see how good his game can mesh with the Dame because it looks like he's probably going to be that number two scorer you know, take over that spot that maybe CJ had or kind of interchangeable. Of course, we know Dame would have a big night than CJ, but you know, they, they played a great game hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you're going to see him be that, that two option, maybe uh, Nurk being uh third after that, because he's there in the post and probably the, you know, next uh, best offensive threat in the starting lineup, as far as just a half court offense goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's, that's the main thing I think we're going to see. And I'm looking forward to saying because this will probably be the first season where, you know, we don't have Dame and, and CJ. We've had that. We've been spoiled with that for so many years now. Mm-hmm. And Ant is a young guy. He's not a veteran yet, in my opinion, you know, still only a few years under his belt. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he's going to he's going to play great. But I am curious to see how, you know, night in and night out, if he is starting like you think he should you know, how he's going to mesh with, uh, with Dame. Yeah. And that's something we talked about on our lost episode. Right. <laughs> but I actually, I actually pulled some numbers. Uh, it's kind of to kind of speak to what, to the dynamic you're talking about and what mm-hmm. we discussed last time about how, just how much different it is for Anthony Simons and really any lead ball handler when they are playing next to another lead ball handler. Um, okay. And we saw that from Ant this season once he took over in early January as the lead ball handler, and then CJ came back a little after that. And you could see Ant kind of picking his spots as both a scorer and playmaker. When CJ was in the game, Ant was just mostly playing facilitator, hitting CJ, coming off screens, uh, you know, passing to CJ to initiate the offense, and then just going to chill in the wing or the corner. Mm-hmm. And then when CJ was off the floor, that's when Ant really, really came alive again. And the stats actually support that. Um, as well, and let's see if I can find a sheet here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so with CJ McCollum on the floor with Anthony Simons from January third to March twenty fifth, and I'm using those dates because January third was Dame's. Uh, that's when Dame went out for good. He or his last game was December thirty first, and so that's when okay. January third is when Ant took over as the primary ball handler. And then his last game was March twenty fifth. So okay. January third to March twenty fifth, the Blazers' offensive rating with CJ and Ant on the floor was one hundred and four point seven, which is not good. That would be, I think, that would be last in the league. Um, over the full season. However, Ugh. and you wouldn't necessarily expect this, obviously, when, mm-hmm. when CJ was off the floor and Anthony was on the floor, um, 
the Blazers had a 112.8 offensive rating. So they were eight points more efficient offensively from that t- over that time period, January 3rd to March 25th, when Anthony Simons was on the floor without C.J. McCollum. And no kidding. And, and, the, and the stats go even further than that. Actually, is that Ant's true shooting percentage with C.J. off the floor, um, or excuse me, was 55.1 um, with with C.J. on the floor. Excuse me. So when when Ant and C.J. played together, 55.1 true shooting percentage for Ant. But when C.J. was off, Ant's true, Ant's true shooting percentage. Um, went right up to 63.5, which is an elite number, like prime Steph Curry number. Um, wow. Right? So, and, and that really supports the eye test, too. I keep saying we talked about it in the yeah. last episode, but but it really, really does. And obviously, CJ isn't Dame. Um, and, you know, Dame's more of a natural point guard than CJ to me. But it's still, but the, all the all that data about CJ and Ant still speak to the issues that uh, Dame and Ant are going to run into this season playing together, definitely, as you were alluding to. Very true. Uh, and yeah, I think, you know, of course, you keep referencing it, mentioned this in the lost episode <laughs> that's in the uh, in the arc somewhere. Yeah. Uh, to me, obviously, Dame is more experienced, you know, all star for all these years. You know, just he, he's the number one guy in Portland and will remain that that way until he retires or, you know, something happens down the line, uh, trade or free agency wise. Mm-hmm. But I believe that. Dame and Ant's game is more similar than Dame and CJ's game. Interesting. Why do you, why do you say that? Out of curiosity. Well, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say uh, to me, let's see how would I would describe this. Okay, Dame is going to go to the cup. He's going to shoot from deep. You know, he's going to do that on a regular basis. That's that that that's what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, CJ, in my opinion. Even if we're just going off of stature, CJ is a solid six three, just like Dame is. But he's kind of a lanky six three. You know, yeah, he's kind of he's kind of yeah, a little longer, a little lankier. Uh, and I think you even see that kind of translate into his game, where where Dame is he, he's a solid six three as well, a little bit more weight on him, a little bit kind of stockier. Where CJ, his his game has a certain flow to it. It has a kind of I don't even want to call it lazy, but just mm-hmm. it just has a different flow where, in my opinion, a Dame and Ant have very similar games where it's very, you know, kind of jerky, step back, um, you know, coming off the pick and roll is very aggressive going to the cup. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they both have that range shooting from deep. Uh, so that's what, in my opinion, is, is going to make it interesting to see a Dame pairing with another guard who their games I feel like are more similar than they are different, if that makes sense. I totally agree with you on Ant being more similar to Dame than CJ for sure. I guess my next question for you, so would you say that's a negative then um, with with regard to that pairing? And, you know, that's the thing that we really have to see next season because right now I have no idea. I mean, we saw uh, how Ant – we know what his abilities are. We know his intangibles. We know that when he's out there – he could really he could really tear it up, but I feel like the only downside is the majority of the highlights and you know the great performances we saw from Ants were when Dame was out or when Nurk was out. Yeah. So I think the eye test is going to be going into next season with whether it's in preseason or you know whatever it is, is saying how is he able to perform and maybe even tone his game down a little bit. Um, when when it's him and Dame because kind of and I hate to you know reference my beloved but terrible Lakers <laughs> we're, we're we're seeing this debacle happen in L A where Russell Westbrook is running around 
everywhere on the court and him and LeBron don't, at least in my opinion, don't mesh well. Or no, him, Le- no. him, LeBron, and AD can't mesh at all. And but, but we know is for a fact, guaranteed. And I know you're going to agree with this: is individually, all of their games are fantastic. You know, we saw Russell Westbrook in Oklahoma City, even when KD was gone. You know, this dude is the triple double king. Yeah, I'll say this. I'll say this, Justice. Sorry to cut you off. That was a long time ago for Russ. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was a long time ago. It was. That was no. A- a few more knee injuries ago, or a few fewer right. knee injuries ago, I should say. Right. Yeah, a few teams ago as well. Exactly. So, no, you're val- you're valid in saying that, but all I'm saying is, you know, individually we know they could, or, you know, in their past, mm-hmm. um, they could lead their team and, you know, put up crazy stats. And so that's, that's my only real question mark on Ant is, you know, because he's so young, is he going to be able to tailor his game to play with another bona fide scorer in Dame you know, night in and night out where, you know, Dame could easily go for 40 or, yeah. you know, beyond that. Can Ant kind of play the sidekick and, you know, kind of pick his spots, kind of how CJ did? Because in my opinion, CJ and Dame played flawlessly together. They meshed. It was almost like water. They were so fluid out there together. No, I think what would be optimal going into next season, and I wouldn't be surprised if it happens, is if Dame mm-hmm. actually takes the track of saying, saying to himself and then the team at large, I'm going to do everything I can to empower Ant. You know, yeah. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure Ant was the guy that he was from January 3rd to March 25th last year. You know, and I just have the numbers in front of me here when he averaged 23.4 points and 5.8 assists per game. Amazing. Amazing. Right? My God, those numbers are just awesome. And the, the efficiency yeah. was too. But I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see that. And we actually kind of saw that with Dame um, at some points this season. Obviously, his injury factored into it, the fact that he wasn't feeling as well. But he even mm-hmm. talked about how early in some games he would – be a little more judicious picking his spots as a scorer because he wanted to let the offense come to him. You know, he wanted to make sure all of his guys were getting good shots. He wanted to uh-huh. get the Blazers in the flow of the offense with how Chauncey Billups wants to play, creasing the paint, moving the ball fast, uh, spraying the ball at the shooters, attacking closeouts, playing early in the clock, pitching ahead in transition. Um, though that, that offensive ethos doesn't necessarily fit with what Dame does best, you know, which is dribble, dribble, dribble the ball, uh, call up for a ball screen, go from there. Um, True, but I so see. So yeah, I would just not. I would just not be at all surprised to see Dame kind of take that tack with Ant next year, just to empower him. Because let's be honest, the only way the Blazers are going to be better than some of their parts, I guess, is if Ant and Dame are really, really dynamic together. If they're both playing near their peak, and and if they are, I wouldn't be at all surprised uh, that if they were a little more effective than Dame and CJ were, just because. Ant gets to the rim a little easier than CJ now, uh, now, that he's mm-hmm. more, now that he's more comfortable off the bounce, and he's definitely more comfortable launching threes than CJ is. And while that can definitely lead to some game-to-game variance just because of the nature of long-range shooting, it'll also open up the floor even more when you have two guys who not only need to be you know, blitzed in pick and roll when they, you know, when, they, when they come around the screen, but also guys who will take those pull-up threes. I think Ant averaged something like seven pull-up threes per game um, from that over that time frame I keep referencing. And obviously uh, Dame's, Dame's probably around there too. They, they'll, I'd imagine they'll lead the league um, among tandems and pull up threes per game next season if if uh, Clay and Steph don't. But <laughs> I'm glad you said I'm glad you said that because before I was like ah don't forget about those Golden State guys. I, they, they do that a lot. <laughs> I I would I would not be surprised if Ant and Dame average you know 14 15 pull up three point attempts between them next season. I and honestly I think that's good offense for the Blazers. Um, oh yeah, as yeah, long no, as that's... as long as they're shooting the way they can. 
Absolutely. That's definitely part of their, their, that's the recipe for success for them. Uh, I do, I know you don't like this, this theory or this thought. I, I am more inclined to think that uh, Dame and Ant will mesh better if Ant comes off the bench. Now we know, of course, to keep him around, they're going to have to pay him some pretty, you know, a nice chunk of change, right. which means they're probably not going to have him come off the bench. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if for some reason, you know, it's not flowing, the offense isn't going the way they want it to, and Chauncey wants to shake things up. I wouldn't be surprised if if they had – uh, Ant come off the bench like he has been uh, when, even when uh, CJ was still there just to see how that would work and like I said I think uh, him I think uh, Dame is really going to uplift Ant and you know really try to uh, promote and push his game but I just think for some reason uh, that flow would just be better with you know one of them on the court at a time or you know limited minutes with them playing together only because like i said i think their game is similar they're both going to be doing pull up threes pick and roll offense you know going to the basket mm-hmm. and you know for what it's worth I, one thing that i i just realized that that may play a part is there's a significant uh age gap between uh ant and dame yeah almost um, almost a decade Right, yeah. I think uh, CJ and, and Dame are only like two years apart, mm-hmm. and Ant, I think, just turned 20, if I'm not mistaken. So I think he turns 23 this summer. 23, okay. He might have just turned 23. But yeah, I mean, I think Dame's, you know, Dame's 32. Right, exactly. And we know, I mean, this happens with everybody, I mean, except maybe LeBron. I mean, I, <laughs> he may be the exception to the rule. But, uh, you know, everybody's game usually slows down the older you get. Right. Um, and like you even mentioned earlier, Dame already plays an immaculate uh, half court game. You know, he could play half court all day, just kind of staying around the, the perimeter, running pick and rolls and, you know, getting to his spots in the mid range or, you know, shooting from the logo um, where, you know, you got this young guy in Ant who's 23. You know, he's got springs in his legs still. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting. That's what that's what I will say. I don't want to make any predictions. I know it's, you know, the season's not even over yet, but it, it certainly will be interesting to see, um, you know, just how that starting lineup kind of flows and meshes together to hopefully equal success next season. Yeah, just to be clear, one of the reasons why I'd be so floored if Ant doesn't start isn't because I – uh, because I think you know that's him. Him starting is going to be what's best for the team on the floor. Like I, right, I, right. Like I absolutely think that it would be best for the Blazers if Ant came off the bench, mostly because of everything we've talked about uh, with it just being difficult to kind of for two lead ball handlers like that to mesh, especially when they're so similar potentially. I mean, mm. that's supported by the, da- the data with CJ I mentioned earlier. But even more than that. You know, what we saw over the last six, seven years with Damon CJ is just that it's really, really hard starting uh, starting a backcourt of two, six, three guys when neither of them is, you know, Marcus Smart or Drew Holiday right. or even a guy sure. like Fred Van Vliet. You know, he's three inches shorter, but he's a much better defender than uh, than Damon Ant, you know. And yes. So I like what you said about the Blazers potentially starting off that way next season with Ant and mm-hmm. Damon in the backcourt. But then, you know, maybe if they don't get off to a good start or if Ant is struggling a little bit to, uh, you know, kind of live up to these expectations that we've been talking about based on his play this season, that if then Chauncey makes the decision to, oh, we have Josh Hart sitting right here on the bench, um, let's absolutely put him in it, put him in at the two and then make Ann our sixth man. Like I, it wouldn't shock me at all if the Blazers best lineup next season was, you know, Damian Lillard, Josh Hart, Nasir Little, 
pick your power forward edition and right yeah just and, pick somebody yeah you know maybe jeremy grant you know maybe maybe keegan murray maybe uh jeremy right. guys guys have mentioned um mm-hmm. but i but yeah like i certainly prefer the blazers not starting to six three guards who you know don't hang their hat on defense but it just seems like it's inevitable that that's how uh, the season is going to start next year right yeah especially with we know the moves that have to be made in the off season at the end of the day, for me, one thing that I, I think is an upside, one thing that's a plus, a positive for the Blazers right now is because the season was so bad and just, you know, uber negative. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of wiggle room for change and a lot of wiggle room for, you know, uh, uh, changes to be made in the starting lineup, uh, summer league guys, the draft. And so I think that's one thing that, that that makes me kind of optimistic going into next season is that of course, you know, when you have a bad season like this, it's kind of like it all falls down, but you know, you kind of have options when you're deciding to build it back up. Um, and clearly, you know, the, the, uh, the Blazers have talent with, you know, Ant and uh, Nas and even Nurk being healthy. And of course, you know, the star point guard and Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they just have a lot of wiggle room to kind of do things right now before it gets very serious and, you know, this is only going to be Chauncey's second season. So it's, right. you know, there's no fault on him. I think he did a great and even is still doing a great coaching job. And I think these young guys really like him. So um, he coaching wise, I believe he's the perfect fit for the Blazers right now. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I've actually been really impressed with how they just how hard the team has played over these last six weeks. You know, when when teams are tanking, it's the it's the front office that's tanking. You know, it's not the players the, it's not the players on the floor, the coach on the yeah. sidelines, right? And we've just we've seen guys like uh, Keon Johnson, Brandon Williams, Drew Eubanks, Greg Brown the uh, third, now Reggie Perry. These last few games, yeah. um, really just put their best foot forward. And I'm not saying that any of those guys are going to have a rotation role next season, or even necessarily be on the roster, other than Keon Johnson, who uh, mm-hmm. and Greg Brown, who both have guaranteed contracts. Um, but still, when you're watching the Blazers play over the last six weeks to two months, you can see the vision of how Chauncey wants to play on both sides of the ball. And so now. Um, you know, just getting back to that sense of the unknown um, that, that you were alluding to, that's what's so exciting about it, right? Is that if the Blazers can find two or three impact players this summer, not necessarily stars, but just two, even just two impact rotation players, then Chauncey Billups' vision for what this team could be, you know, it, it could really could really come to, a, come to a head, I think, next season. Um, so that's what's, yeah. that's what's so exciting about it. The Blazers, their status quo wasn't working. You know, no, it, it, no. It, it just wasn't making making the playoffs every year was great. Winning around, you know, every third year or so. That's that was exciting. But they got to be playing. It's not enough. It's exactly. not enough, it's, especially as Dame is getting older. Um, yeah. So, so you mentioned that sense of the unknown. And that it, that's to me so, so exciting. And, and going into next season, just again, that sense of the unknown should uh, should just provides room for optimism and just for for a ceiling that think if we're being honest with ourselves and if anyone really following the team over the last few years is being honest with themselves they knew that that ceiling didn't exist right that ceiling of a of a of a well-earned conference finals of a potential finals appearance or even even a top four seed yeah it's it's all on the table for the blazers now it's because they and it's because they're tanking it's because they made all those moves at the trade deadline yeah absolutely like you said uh, i think we're both in agreement. um yeah, not only is there a lot of room for you know, wiggle room, a lot of room to be optimistic and uh, just kind of 
have a roster and a, and a coaching staff, and even a front office now with all the revamping that's yeah. going on there, um, you know, just filled with optimism, but also knowing that the time is now, like you said, Dame is not getting any younger. Right. Um, and of course, you know, you're going to have, in my opinion, different struggles when your vet is a point guard compared to, you know, if your vet is a, a center or a forward, um, because he's the one that's going to have to deal with these these young guards that are in the West and in the East mm-hmm. that are just getting faster and faster and can jump higher and higher. And, you know, uh, like we talked about earlier, Dame's game is not um, the same as a Steph Curry or, you know, as a matter of fact, it might even be getting closer to a, a Chris Paul now. It's getting slower um, and half court offense is probably going to be, you know, his mainstay until he, you know, kind of um, gets close to retirement. That's what I think, at least. Now, Justice, we've covered a lot. Do we need to talk anything else? Talk about anything else before we get out of here? Oh man, we have covered a lot. This will not be a lost episode, thankfully. <laughs> um, no, not not that I can think of. I mean, uh, this is your show, Jack. I'm just here to have a good time. Hey, man. Um, hey, man. It, 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 may be, it may be my show, but we're going to get you on as a regular guest here weekly. <laughs> well, you you heard it here first, folks. Uh, he said it while we're recording, so that must mean it's true. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm glad that we were able to agree on some points. You know, Blazers were optimistic. They've got wiggle room. Yeah. Uh, they've got potential. The ceiling is not shrinking. Um, they're getting more more oxygen uh, inside. And yeah, I guess we'll just have to see what happens. I think last game is uh, Sunday, this Sunday, Easter Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's right. Yeah. 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 Fan appreciation night in the motor center. Um, I have not decided if I will be in the building or not, but uh, <laughs> that'll be a game time decision for me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> It's the same for me. Same for okay. me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Justice, uh, before we get out of here, tell all the good people where they can find your work, where they can follow you on social media, all that stuff. Sure. As always, uh, you could find me mostly active on Twitter, um, usually probably uh, joking with uh, Jack or uh, <laughs> talking about what's going on in the world. Um, you can find me at Justice, that's J U S T U S. Rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S TV. That's Justice Rogers TV on Twitter. Also on Instagram as well. Not as active on there. Uh, mainly talking sports always on Twitter. Um, you can find any of my articles or even uh, interviews, um, links to stories, all that good stuff on my Twitter. That's Justice Rogers TV covering the Blazers here in Portland uh, with my good friend Jack. Fantastic, Justice and listeners. Again, rest assured, you will not just be hearing me on next week's episode. You will be hearing Justice, and I know that makes you excited and it makes me excited. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you again, Jack. Always appreciate it, my friend. Justice, I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. I'll be there. All right, sweetie.